How are we all? All right. May not be a surprise to some of you, we're going to talk about standing firm this morning. Mark, have you ever had feeling that, you know, the, the worship team's already started preaching for you and then you get up there and you're like, oh, I'm not sure, oh, they've already talked about that, I'll scratch that out. We're going to give it a go anyway. Malcolm's on YMCA, so I think that means YPs. So all the YPs, you can follow Ben, Benjamin. So YPs, what's that, 12 to 14s, 12 to 13s? All right, that's out that way. All right. So we're going to go back to that scripture in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. So a bit of context. The Israelites are about to go into the battle and God sends them a DM. Who's over the age of 22? A DM's a direct message. Never mind. All right. So God says to them, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. All right, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank that you have placed us in this community and you have asked us to take up some positions in, in this, this region, this community, in the, in the spiritual realm. And you've also asked us to stand firm on that because you've got us or a plan for us to do something significant in this community, in this region at this time. But it's going to take us to stand firm. We just pray this morning that your spirit would speak to us and, and give us some insight on how to do that. We just pray for Pastor James and Michelle too, that they come back safely, because I don't have to preach all that often. All right, amen. It's a little selfish when I slipped in there. All right, so we talked a little bit before about getting into position. I'm not going to talk too much about that today. A couple of ways you can do that is obviously read the Bible. It's a good way of finding what position you need to be in, or you can go and seek some wise counsel. So there's pastors, there's elders, there's friends, Go and seek some wise counsel and find out what sort of positions you need to be in relation to your salvation, in relation to your finances, in relation to your relationships. You can find out from those guys what sort of position you need to be in. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about standing firm. That was the next bit. So God said, get into position and then stand firm. If you only read the New Testament, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13. And it says, depending on the version, it says, keep alert, be firm in your faith, stay brave and strong. So the one on the screen says, watch, stand fast in your faith, be brave and strong. And just because I like lots of different translations, I read it out of the Amplified this morning. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in your faith, in brackets as, as in God, respecting his precepts and keeping your doctrine sound, close brackets. Act like a mature person. That's pretty good. And be courageous and strong. So there's a corresponding message out of the New Testament. Stand fast, stand firm in your faith. So it's not just an Old Testament thing. It wasn't just when Israelites went into battle, physical battle. Right? By the time the New Testament had come around, that sort of stuff had kind of waned a little bit. The Roman Empire had basically conquered everything anyway. But it was a different kind of threat. So they're still valid. It still says in the New Testament, stand firm in your faith. 
There are a lot of forces at play which are trying to push us out of our position. So we've just got up into our position and all of a sudden we start to get some forces pushing us off that. Bit of resistance. That's why it says we need to stand firm. So we want to look at a couple of ways this morning about how our adversary tries to do this by manipulating our emotions and our feelings. So to move into a position, it was a conscious thought. Israelites just didn't like sleepwalk into their positions and then wake up and go, whoa, what am I doing here? I'm in my battle armour, there's an army facing us. It was a conscious thought. They had to get up in the morning. They had to get dressed in their battle gear. They had to get into formations. They had to march out to those positions and they had to basically take up their battle line. It was a conscious decision. Not only was it a decision, but it also required some action and some commitment. So science tells us that that process, that conscious decision-making and following it up, science tells us that that should be somewhat rewarding. Our brain has made a decision, we followed through, so it releases some chemicals and we get a little good feeling about that. Who's ever been weighing up a decision, they've made the decision, they've gone and done it, and you're like... I feel pretty good about that. That's our brain programming our responses to encourage us to make good decisions or decisions. Can't live in this sense of tension going, oh, I'm not going to make a decision. We can, but it's going to be pretty average sort of life. So your body or your brain is able to program your body by giving it some chemicals. But the reverse is also true. Your emotions, your feelings can also try and reprogram your brain. So that's how the adversary, the devil, tries to get into that sometimes. He tries to use our emotions, our feelings, to try and rewire our brain and push us out of our position. So we're going to look at a couple of them. There's lots and lots of ways. I can't spend all day doing that. So we're going to look at a couple of them. And you know what? The devil doesn't really matter doesn't really care where they come from. Could be your internal thoughts, your internal processing. Could be your friends, could be your family. Could be your government. Could be some other body which is trying to force you and tamper with your emotions to try and push you out of that position that you've taken up. All right. So the first thing we're going to look at is fear. So we've talked a little bit or sung about it this morning about fear, how we can overcome fear. So we're going to have a look at a little bit more in detail. And uh, then hopefully I'll give you some good ideas about how to combat that. So fear is an innate reaction to danger. Doesn't matter whether it's a real or perceived danger. Like God intended us to have this fear reflex. So we get into this danger situation, all of a sudden we start getting adrenaline, we start getting ready to act, we get ready to get either fight that thing or we're going to flee. So they literally call it the fight or flee response. Who's ever heard that? Yep. So we have this fear reflex. And it's a good thing. God intended us to be a good thing. It's designed for emergency situations where, you know, we literally need to take action quickly, otherwise it might be all over for us. But the enemy uses this fear reflex as a test of the strength of our conviction. 
This shock and awe tactic gauges how serious you are about standing in your position. Have you ever seen those, like, those movies like Braveheart and those ones where they've got all the guys standing up there and there's the real serious, and then there's the guys like, um, I'm not really sure I want to be here. <laughs> um, so this sort of fear reflex is a real test of whether we're convinced that we should be in that position or whether we're just an imposter. The devil's going to come at us with some things to test or gauge how willing or how convinced we are that we should be there. So you've taken up your position. And the devil's going, let's see how prepared you are to defend that position. In the most extreme, this threat comes in the, in the threat of death. So if you consider like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar set up this idol and he literally said, you bow down to that idol or you die. That's the extreme scenario of that. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they made a conscious decision. They said, no, we're not going to bow down. Righto, you know the consequences. So there was a bit of time in between that. You imagine their fear reflexes kicked in. They're standing next to that furnace. They said it was so hot that the guys guarding the furnace couldn't even withstand it. So there's lots of opportunity for that fear reflex to kick in. But they didn't. They, they stayed that. They stood firm. Look at Daniel. Daniel was a godly man. He prayed all the time. And his enemy said, well, we're going to catch Daniel out in a trap. We know he's going to pray, so let's convince the, the king to make it illegal to pray. Daniel went, okay, that's fine. I'll keep praying. So they threw him in a lion's den. I don't know about you, but my fear reflex. I've never been over to safari. I know you guys just come back from over there, Kruger National Park. I don't think I'd want to be out roaming with the potential of a lion, let alone being thrown into a pit where the lions and I can't get away from each other. That would kind of churn up my fear reflex. But Daniel didn't stop praying because of that fear. And we can go on lots of examples. There's Peter when he walked on water. There was all those sort of things. But the concept here is to present an outcome to you that is so horrifying that it stimulates our fear reflex. And it's trying to get us that emotion to try and rewire our brain and go, oh, you know what? I know I'm meant to be in this position, but I'm not sure I'm that convinced. So let's dial it down a little bit. You know, in our part of the world, we probably don't face those situations on a daily basis. You know, you rock up, we'll go down the mall. Somebody says, oh, you're a Christian? I've got the gallows here. So let's dial it down a little bit. Down. So we're relatively devoid from that sort of change or die type question. But we still have this reflex, this fear reflex, which is inside of us. So we've gone, well, we'll retask it a little bit. So we've retasked it to things like loss of health leading to a premature death. It's a bad diagnosis. I'm now not going to get my 60, 70 years. I might only get 40, 50. We've tasked it about a loss of freedom. I might get put in jail. If I preach about certain topics these days, I might get put in jail or arrested or, you know, I get a conviction against me. 
a loss of reputation if I talk about God and Jesus in my workplace. I'm going to get that, oh, he's a churchy. We might lose our friends, some of our families. We're even going to worry about whether we lose our income, possessions and wealth. I remember I was over here in a prayer meeting one night and I was praying and Loris was in here and I'm praying like, oh, you know, it was about, uh, it was about work and, you know, they were starting to bring in some things about anti-discrimination and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, protect Christians from, you know, the work setting where they might do something wrong and they get, you know, punished for that. And uh, I thought I was being real spiritual. And, and then about three or four minutes later, Loris goes... Esther went into the king. She could have got killed. She didn't care about regulations. She stood firm and I'm just like, oh. (laughs) I was going to crawl under the chair. See, our fear reflex is now designed, not designed, but we've retasked it for doing, you know, looking after these little things like, oh. Nick had this great testimony he did for, for youth there. He was at work one late, late night, there was only a couple of them, and they were deciding about what music they put on. And the guy turns to Nick and says, oh, what sort of music do you listen to? And Nick in his mind was going, well, I can tell him I listen to Christian music. But this fear reflex started to kick in, like, oh, maybe you won't like me if I tell him I listen to Christian music. And that's, that's this response, which is trying to push us out of our position. And Nick had to work through that, and eventually came back to him and... and you know, told him they listened to contemporary, contemporary Christian music. I don't know what the difference between normal Christian music is and contemporary Christian music. It's probably you can pronounce their names if it's Christian music. If it's contemporary Christian music, you can't pronounce their names. What's that guy you listen to? Garvey? There's a W in it. I don't even know how the W finds it in there. Anyway, so that's our fear reflex. So we've grown up trying to please our parents and we've learnt that you know, trying to please people is a good thing and, and if we don't please people, we get this sort of fear reflex. So it's difficult for us in a setting to go, you know what, I'm a Christian because we go, oh, maybe they won't like us. We want to try and fit in with their circle and that reflex is now trying to push us against what God wants us to do. All right, so I've talked enough about it. Let's start looking about how we can get around it. So the good news is, is that fear response is short-lived. Right, yeah, your body releases these chemicals, but it can only do it for a short period of time. You can't live in a constant state of fear. Just like a person who's on drugs, they can't live in that constant state, right? Those chemicals will eventually degrade in your body and, and flush out and you'll return to a normal state. You can't live in that constant state of fear. In a similar sort of vein, it takes a lot of effort. You can't, just, you can't just manipulate those same sort of things. Like You can't just go to the doctor and go, oh, you've got cancer, and then the next time he's got, oh, well, you've got this, and then the next time you go, oh, that. Like, you know, the devil can't manufacture you know, all those different things. So that they tend to come in short bursts. Yes, they're horrifying, but they're in short bursts. No, it's not like the guy with Nick, he just sort of sat there and just went, Nick, what sort of music are you looking for? Nick, what sort of music are you looking for? Nick, what sort of music are you looking for? Nick, right? It'll come at you strong and hard, but it'll be fairly short, right? So we can withstand that. 
You'll see those movies where they're, they're standing here and the, the, the enemy's charging at them. Right? It must feel like an eternity. But in reality, it's probably a matter of minutes. But you're standing there and your body's flooding with this thing going, oh, I want to run, I want to run, I want to run, I want to run. And you think it's lasting for an eternity, but it's not. So we need to stand firm. No matter what's coming at us, we need to stand firm. So we have this unshakable, we need this unshakable faith in our God, a belief in his love, his goodness, his salvation, his ability to restore those things that the devil takes away from us. Like Job, the devil took all those things away from him, but in the end, God restored them. We need to have that faith that I can find my notes again. That he can calm the storm. The disciples are in the boat and they're fearful of their lives. Jesus is asleep. He wasn't afraid. Because Jesus can get up and he can talk to your situation, your storm, and he can calm that. You think it's the worst thing in the world, but God's seen it all. Jesus has seen it all. Not only that, he has authority over it. He can speak to your waves. He can speak to your wind. And he can say, you know what? That's enough. Calm down. As a parent who's ever said that, there's a fight going on. My boys were great at it. There's a fight going on. I'd walk in and go, that's enough. Calm down. And God's like a big referee up there. The devil, and you're going at it. And he's just like, enough. Calm down. And all of a sudden, whew, waves go still. The wind stops. Those noises, those voices, gone. So the other thing about that fear factor is a high risk of failure. You've got Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar's up there and goes, you will bow down to me or I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they went, do your worst. They threw him in the fire and they're like, hang on, they're still there. And they brought him back out of the fire and then there was a revival. <laughs> we got Daniel, threw him in the lion's den. He survived. They pulled him back out. And the king's like, round up all those guys that wanted you in the thing and we'll throw them in there. We'll see who's right. We found out who was right. Daniel was right. So there's high risk of failure. Yes, the devil's going to come at you, but if you stand that, he's failed. And you've got a testimony. How's that? Let me say that again. The devil comes at you and he fails because you stood firm. And now you what? You've got a testimony in your back pocket there. Like it comes at you again, you pull that out and you go, hey, remember me? You come at me, bro. And I took you on. If you want to have a look at things, look at the story of Joseph. There's a, there's a scripture in there which is just so powerful. It says, what you meant for evil. He's talking about his brothers because they eventually came back to apologise to him. You know, here's, here's Joseph. He's got these great dreams. He's like, yes, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to do all these cool things. It's amazing. He's had a prophecy like that. Sandy talked about that. Oh, I've had one. If you've been in church long enough, you've probably had one similar. And then what happens? His brothers grab him and throw him in a pit. 
And if they're not bad enough, they pick him up and they sell him to a Egyptian slave traders. And then he gets to Egypt, thinks things are going a bit better, and then he ends up in jail. It's like, man, what a life. I'm meant to be this awesome dude with a shiny coat and stuff. And he gets, finally gets into the position that he was always meant to be in. And he says, you know what? What God meant, or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So it's a high risk of failure. And maybe you know, God has allowed you to sort of get into that position because he knows that you can withstand that. And not only can you withstand that, you can be a testimony to God's goodness, God's grace. All right. So basically we're riding out the storm, we're standing firm. We sing songs, we praise him, we magnify him. We take our focus off the problem, we put it on to our God. And all of a sudden that thing over there that's trying to stir up this reaction, trying to push us off that, suddenly doesn't come, loses importance because we're focused on our God. We're magnifying our God. We're lifting him up in our situation. And that thing suddenly starts to shrink down. Becomes insignificant in comparison to our God. That's why we praise. That's why we sing songs about faith. About how our mountains be melting like wax. This is a great analogy, isn't it? Who's ever melted a wax candle? Just... Our problem just melting in front of us. All right. So the other way to do it is through community. We're not just all here because we randomly came and God's like, well, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. I don't have to sort of talk to 10 million people in different locations. If we get them all in the church, I can just sort of talk to them at once. It's really efficient. It's not what it's about. It's about standing together. When we're down, we're a little bit weak. We've got others that can gather around us. We can ring up people who may have been through that situation before us and we can go, look, this is what I've just been told. I've got such and such or this is happening to me or whatever it is. And you can ring a person and they can go, I've been through that. It's going to feel like hell. If anyone's ever been to hell, you know, anyway, it's a metaphor. And they can help you through that. They can encourage you. You can look at them and go, well, they've been through that and they've come out the other side. Maybe they've got singed a little bit. I love that scripture there when it says they came out of the fire and they didn't even have the smell of burn on them. That's awesome. But you can talk to people who have literally come out the other side of that. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the end before I wrap it up. All right. So that's fear. Who thinks that they could sort of combat fear now? Yeah. So yes, it's going to be intense, but it's only going to last a short period of time. And you can withstand that. All right, so it goes one of two ways after that. It's either going to be a siege or it's going to turn into a lull. So who knows what a siege is? Anyone know what a siege is? Anyone on the front row know what a siege is? Yeah, cool. My two boys, excellent. They probably read my notes. So siege is, is basically like a mini version of the fear reflex, but it's more constant. It's a regular interaction 
So the devil's like, you know what, I've tried once, but I'm just going to keep poking that. That's a raw wound. I'm just going to keep trying to poke that. You might have gone to diagnosis and it might last, you know, it might be forever now. And you've got through that initial shock of, oh, I've got this thing. But then the devil keeps coming back and he's just poking that thing. Or you might be in a bit of financial strife. And one week you get a bill, the next week you get another bill. And it's just poking that. It's like, oh, I'm already in strife. I don't need more of this. And, and this sort of fear is now starting to give way to anxiety, starting to give way to worry. And if you stay in that long enough, it's going to try and push you into depression, into discouragement. So siege is this drawn-out confrontation where we try and deprive a person of their fundamental needs. So they used to try and starve people out of their fortress or their castle. And the devil's going to try and come and do that. He's going to try and deprive you of things like your joy, of your happiness, of your health, of your comfort. He's going to try and keep doing that over and over and just poking you. And the ultimate game is to try and force you into regularly evaluating whether the cost is too great. So you're in this position and the devil's coming, you're getting beaten around. It's like a prize fighter. Who's seen the Rocky movie? We watched that over Christmas. You know, you're going like 12 rounds with a guy and he's just smacking you all around the head. You're like, is it worth it? <laughs> is the cost too great? The devil's trying to push you out of your position by going, how's the cost, champ? You got enough in your bank account? I'm going to come at you again. And you're constantly forced to reevaluate where the cost is too great to stay in your position. When you've lost one friend and two friends and three friends, four friends, we're not talking to you because you're standing on your Christianity. Is the cost too great? And that's what the siege mentality tries to do. It tries to discourage you, tries to push you into depression. It's forcing you to evaluate where the cost is too great. Are you going to give up or are you going to stand firm? Do you ever seem to lurch from one issue to the next? And a money problem, then a family problem, then a health problem, back to a money problem, back to a family problem? This is the devil just poking you going... It's going to cost you something. I'm not going to give up that easy. It's going to cost you something. Poke, poke, poke. And you start getting random thoughts about going, oh, maybe I just need to get out of this town. Maybe I need to change churches. Too many people in this church don't like me. I'll, just, I'll go to another church. Maybe it's about changing jobs. Maybe it's like, oh, I'll just stop going to church. That'll be it. I'll, go to, I'll stop going to church. I'll get the devil off me back. Maybe you're trying to work with a person, they keep throwing it back in you and go, oh, I'll just stop trying to help that person. That'll fix it. They can just do whatever they want to do. Maybe even get to the point where it's serious enough that you go, well, maybe it's just worth stopping it all. Taking my own life, just that'll fix it. That's a very common theme now. You start talking to, you know, young people, teens, you know, men who work, Long hours and hard jobs in remote areas. They're just like, it's too hard. I'm just going to end it all. 
And the devil's trying to poke you and poke you and poke you and push you off, push you off, push you off. You go, the cost is too great, mate. Just finish it. End it. Be done with it. All right, enough about that. Let's talk about how to overcome it. We need to come back to the cross. The most precious thing that we have have been given is eternal life. If you have accepted salvation, you've proclaimed Jesus as your Lord, the most precious thing that we have is eternal life. It doesn't matter how many times the devil comes at us and pokes us, tries to deprive us of things. He can't take our eternal life. The Bible says, don't fear man. I can't remember the other bits, but it says basically, don't fear man, but fear God. God can actually take your soul. Man can probably you know, physically affect you, emotionally affect you, but he can't affect your soul. Only God has the deciding factor about where your soul ends up at the end of eternity. Can you just put up Hebrews 6, 18 and 9? 19, sorry, 18 and 9. Maybe consecutive verses would be good. So the one I'm reading here is out of the uh, contemporary English version. It says, God cannot tell lies. And so his promises and his vows are two things that can never be changed. So if God's made a promise to you, that can't be changed. If God's made a vow to you or a covenant with you, that can't be changed. Only he can break that. We have run to God for our safety. Now his promises should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. This hope is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. In fact, hope reaches beyond the curtain and into the most holy place. So I read that out of the Amplified. It's got some good points in there. So where it says, now his promises should greatly encourage us, the Amplified says, strong encouragement and indwelling strength. How awesome is that? An indwelling strength. To holdly tight, hold, hold tightly sorry, to the hope set before us. This hope, a confidence assurance we have as an anchor to our soul. Listen to this bit. It cannot slip. And it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. Unless you've only got a tiny anchor. Who's ever been out in a big boat with a tiny anchor? <laughs> Come back and your boat's not there. But God's given this anchor. Our hope in salvation. And it cannot slip. It's stuck firm in there. Can't slip nor can it break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. That devil can come alive and he can poke you all you like, but that anchor's not going to slip. It's not going to break under the strain of that. I was looking for the scripture this morning where it says, lift up your feeble arms that hang down. If anyone knows where that is, you can sort of yell it out. No, anyway. When I was young, I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's probably because you know, he hasn't been to the gym and worked out. You know, so you, you know, a little weedy guy in church, like, oh, lift up your arms. But maybe they're feeble because you've been fighting so long and so hard. And you've got no strength left in them. And they're just hanging behind there and your heart's heavy. And the Bible says, 
Lift up your hands again. Go back to that anchor. Go back to your hope. We sang it this morning, an enduring hope which lasts forever. Ben said it on Friday night with the youth. Hope is forever. God doesn't change. God's love is forever. God's hope, our hope in God can be for forever, can be our anchor. All right, how am I going? Good. All right. So I've only got six points to go. That's awesome. <laughs> so if you, get, if you don't get the siege, then you get the lull. Who knows what a lull is? The boaties, any boaties here? No? Oh. All right. So a lull is basically where all the, the wind dies down. If you're sailing, you don't want a lull. Right? All the wind stops and you're just sort of sitting out in the ocean like, Seagull comes and lands on your mast. You're like, okay. Goes quiet, too quiet. It's like a Western. It's quiet, too quiet. So maybe you start thinking, oh, hang on. Get suspicious, man. Oh, maybe the devil's up or something. He's playing something huge. He's just. Basically, just in the preparation phase. But as it goes on a bit longer, you start to relax. You're comfortable. You're a nice church in Gladstone. Not too much is going on against you. Got a good job. Family's going great. You're relaxed. It's good. Haven't had any problems for a little while. If you stay in that comfort too long, you start to get a little bored. Or worse, you might get a little prideful. Start believing that you don't need God, or not as much as you used to when it was all going pear-shaped. So the lull can be equally as dangerous. At least then when you're in this constant fight, you're aware you're in this fight. When you're in the lull, it's like, oh, nothing really happening. You start to get relaxed. That's why it says that this, in Corinthians it says, watch, be watchful, stay on guard, even in those periods where it's quiet. Check your heart. That's for Nick. No, he's busy doing something. You've got to keep checking your heart. So to overcome boredom, that's fairly easy. Get busy serving you don't know where to serve, come and see Pastor Malcolm. He can give you a thousand jobs to do. Pastor James has got another thousand. You can come see Kate. We've got a thousand for you to do. So if you find yourself bored in a church, come and see the ministry team and we can put you somewhere useful. Don't just sit in the pew and go, oh, it's pretty good here. It's air conditioned. I don't have to get sweaty in church. I'm in that right sort of balance. I'm not, not creating too much storm where the devil's going to come at me, but I'm going to church, so I feel safe that I'm going to go to heaven. And you're just in that kind of lukewarm zone. <clears throat> I didn't say that. That just sort of slipped out. So to combat that, get busy serving. You know, we'd love to have you involved in our church doing something positive. We've got so many activities that are crying out for good people to come and do some things. So come and see Pastor Mal, call up the office and we can fit you in there. 
I don't just sit there and go, no, I'm so bored. Because that distraction starts to come then. You're sitting in a foxhole and it hasn't bombed for a while and you're just like, get up and go for a wander out. You might get pot off by a sniper. Don't get bored, go to church. Get busy. If you've already got a job, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to give up that one. Take on another one. Or better still, train up somebody to take over your job. And then you can go and get something different. That's what I'm doing. I'm training Jono. Woo! <laughs> All right, so pride. You need to foster a healthy sense of identity, but also of hierarchy. Well, the devil wants to get in there and go, well, you've been, you've been successful at this level. You're withstanding. You've done a great job standing there, but have a look at that job over there. That's a better job than the one you've got. That one's got more prestige. That one's got more whatever. That one comes with a car. And he'll try and push you out of your position by showing you something better. He did this to Jesus. He took him up on a hill and he said, see all that all over there? The devil's going, oh, I own that and I can give it to you. You just bow down to me and I can give you all of that. So he's trying to push Jesus out of his position by offering something better. Didn't matter that Jesus knew that he had everything anyway, but that's why the boy. But the devil will come along to you and go, yeah, you know, that's okay, but have a look at that over there. And inside you start going, yeah, I'm actually a pretty good dude. I actually think I deserve that over there. And all of a sudden you're like, well, starting to take a few steps out of position over towards that thing over there. Your, old, your heart's probably already gone over there and it's over there. And he's like, come on over here. And you're like, no, no, I'm meant to be here. So it's hierarchy. Right? Understand where you fit in the body of Christ. The Bible says some are eyes, some are nose, some are knees, ears, knees, hands and eyes, and knees and toes, knees and toes. Figure out where your position is. And the Bible says, you know, if you're an ear, don't think you should be a hand or wish that you're a hand. If you're an eye, don't think you should be a nose. That's not to say God can't promote you, but let God do the promoting. Don't you go, well, I've been the drummer for five years. I think I should, oh, no, I won't use drumming because that's, Joel's there. What, what's the thing we don't use? Tambourine. I've been a tambourine player for 15 years. I've been out the back doing my tambourine thing, you know. I should be in charge of Bethel Music. So I've got my plane ticket over to Los Angeles and I'm going to go up to Bill Johnson. I'm going, I should be in charge of your music team because I played the tambourine for 15 years. Right? That's not how God's promotion works. If you feel like you know, you're starting to get a little bit ahead of yourself, you start thinking, oh, <laughs> maybe I'm destined for greater things. One of the great ways to combat that is take on some really low menial task. I was talking to the youth on Friday night about giving. The way to break the love of money is to give some away. The way to break your pride is to go and find something to do which has next to no recognition or accolades. Nobody's even going to notice that you do it. And that'll really break that pridefulness in you. I remember quite a few years ago, I'd agreed to go and mow somebody's yard. And I'd worked really hard that week. 
I was like, you know what, Saturday, I just want to have my Saturday off. I'm starting to get a little bit self-righteous. It's like, oh, why should I have to go and mow this person's yard? Anyway, my wife, she's like, no, you've got to go and do it. You promised to. And I went, right, eh? And I went over and I did that first, first couple of strips. I was mowing angry. Who's mowed angry before? It's like, hmm. Back the other way. The more I did that, the more that prideful attitude started to dissipate. It left me. By the third or fourth lap, I'm actually starting to feel okay about it. You know? By the time I finish the front yard and I'm on the backyard, I'm actually singing. So you can combat the pride by doing tasks which are well beneath what you think is your status. I'm a superintendent in my lab. I still go out there and process samples because I never want to get this attitude that I'm too good. I don't want to ask my people to do things which I'm not prepared to do. We're talking to the young people about blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we're asking them, what is poor in spirit? It's about that humility, not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up here. So if we just go back to 2 Chronicles 20, the last bit of it says, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. God wants you to witness his deliverance. He doesn't want you to be way over there in the background and he's got to send you an email going, oh, yes, I've just uh, provided that deliverance for you. If you see attachment B, there'll be a nice little JPEG of my deliverance and you can peruse that at your own convenience. It's not how God works. God wants you to see, literally see, his deliverance. Why is that? Because God's some sort of sadist. He wants you to take you right up close to the fire. No, it's not... I said it before, God wants you to have a testimony. If you see his deliverance, or you witness that, and I wrote that down, if you witness that, you can also bear witness to that. In Acts 22, it says, You will be his witnesses to all people of what you have seen and have heard. So in Chronicles it says... See the deliverance the Lord will give you. Why? So that we can go out and tell people all the things that we've seen and that we've heard. So it doesn't just build you up. It builds everybody up. And like I said, you know, there might be somebody who's going through this thing for the first time. You might have been through it a dozen times. And you can bear witness to that. I've faced that. I've faced that line. I've faced that. I came through the other side. And this is my testimony. And my God is faithful. My God is good. My anchor, my hope, it's strong enough to hold me in position. I didn't get blown away by that storm. I didn't get blown away by that siege. And that might just be the thing that encourages that person to make it through their trial, their siege. Their fear reflex. All right, can I just have the music team come up? You can sing whichever one you think's appropriate.
Nick, do you just want to take the table and the little thing there for me? So why don't you stand up on your feet? just want to give you an opportunity that if you're, if you're going through any one of those situations, the devil's coming at you and you've got the fear reflex. If you're in a bit of a siege at the moment, the devil's found something which is discomforting to you and he's just poking it every couple of days. Just poking it. Or maybe you've gotten to that point where you're comfortable. I just give you opportunity. You know, you can come forward. Pastor Mal and I will pray for you. You don't have to give us all the details about it. They probably don't need to. We shouldn't give the details. We just want to help you break through that. Just want to help you get the strength to face that. Because you know what, guys, we're in a pivotal part of our community and of our time. This community needs. Strong believers like you to just take up position and stand firm, not just for your own sakes, but for the sake of all the people in our community. We went to a concert last night and the guy was talking about revival and he's like, people are praying like, oh, send revival, send revival. And God's trying to go, hey, I already have. He's standing in your shoes. Or she's standing in your shoes. That's not going to happen if we know where we're meant to be. We get into that position and we stand firm. Don't let anything push us off that position. Just one last example. When Kate and I were looking at a house, I'm just praying, oh, you know, God gives a house. God gives a house. You know, oh, it's God who gives a house. My wife says, like, you know what, God, we're not moving unless you tell us to move. Unless you're our cloud or your fire by night, we're not going. I'm like, yeah, you know, give us a house, give us a house. That's the sort of faith that you have. You know, like put me in a position. Like a tree beside a river whose roots go down deep. And I'm going to move until you tell me to move. I'm not going to go unless you're leading me. If you want me to go, that's great. But otherwise, I know my position. I'm going to stand firm. Right, so if you want to have some prayer, you can come forward. The band's going to sing. That'd be awesome. Thanks, Kate.